Please stand if you're able as I read the scripture. Uh, the scripture is John 1, verses 43 to 51 from the NIV version. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Thank you. Well, thank you, Ethan, for reading that so well. And thank you, praise team, our pianist, for leading us in music week after week. It is a gift to our congregation. So if, um, if I want to drive my wife crazy, which, you know, after 15 years of marriage, I hope you have at least some idea how to uh, push your spouse's buttons, I'm sure. You all know how to push your spouse's buttons. I will say something like, hey, do you know, have you ever heard about the Mediterranean diet? And uh, it's supposed to be really good for you. you. You eat lots of vegetables, you eat less, less meat, more plant-based, fruits, whole grains, lots of olive oil, etc. And the reason why it would drive my wife crazy is because when we first got married, we were living in D.C., and we had kind of different ideas about what constituted a meal. Right? These, like, these kind of growing pains when you first get married and you realize, like, oh, we, we eat different things. And she's like, I like to eat them, I like to follow the Mediterranean diet, which I just kind of balked at. Um, it didn't sound like something I wanted to follow. But over the time, I've come around. And, um, and what Krishana will tell you is this fits into a larger pattern in our marriage of her telling me about something me being skeptical, and then years later, discovering something, telling her about my discovery, and then she reminds me that she had told me that years ago, right? <laughs> so I admit, like, I confess, I'm, I'm actually, I'm from Missouri, we've got a couple, we've got at least one, I'm from the show me state, right? We're a little, we're a little skeptical, we want, that's where that comes from, we, we want to see something, we want to experience something before we believe it which gives me a little bit of sympathy for Nathaniel in our story today. I, I'm wondering if he kind of comes from the show-me part of Galilee, maybe. Because uh, he's skeptical, he's suspicious, uh, the words he hears are not enough. He has to see with his own eyes to believe. So kind of where we're at, just to give you a little picture, we're in Galilee, this is the northern region, this is where most of Jesus' ministry happens. A couple weeks ago, uh, I was down in the Jordan, south of there, and Jesus had been baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. So Jesus then heads to Galilee after his ministry is launched, 
And he begins to go around inviting people to follow him, inviting people to become his disciples, his apprentices, to, to hang out with him, to learn from him, to learn what he's doing. Now, this, this isn't the only time. This, this is, there's a model for this in, 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 uh, for Jews to have a rabbi, a teacher like Jesus called disciples. What's pretty unusual about what's happening here is that Jesus is approaching people like he is Philip in our story, and he is saying, follow me. So this is a little bit, this is a little bit different. Typically what would happen is that the, the person who wanted to be a disciple would go up to the, disciple, to the rabbi and say, no, I want to follow you. But Jesus kind of flips that around and is a pretty radical summons. Come after me. So he, he invites, our, our passage begins with uh, an invitation to Philip to follow him. And we don't know, we don't hear anything else about what happens between Jesus and Philip. But it must have impressed Philip. Whether it was a day or a couple days, he hangs out with Jesus. He's impressed because he goes to Nathaniel with the exciting news, we've found the Messiah. This this figure that some Jews would have been waiting for at the time to to come, this Messiah figure to come and usher in a new era, the reign of God, the rule of God. We found him, the one we've been waiting for, the one Moses and the prophet said was coming. He's actually from around here. His dad is Joseph. And, and, and Nathaniel has this very memorable reply, Nazareth. you got to be kidding me, Philip. The Messiah from Nazareth, does anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, in Nathaniel's defense, um, really understandable. There's no mention of Nazareth in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. So there are Scriptures they would have had. Certainly, there's none at all, certainly not that the Messiah would come from Nazareth, um, but also I think it's maybe more than that. Canis, probably only about less than 10 miles away from, uh, from, from Nazareth, which, which means that Nathaniel knows Nazareth, and that can be sometimes a challenge. Sometimes it's, I don't know if this is a little too strong, but familiarity breeds contempt, right? Sometimes it's those places that we know that often we, we have the most ire towards. Um, and also there's probably, as some people point out, there's probably a little bit of rivalry happening between Nazareth and Cana. So imagine with me, uh, I live in Columbia, so this happens, I see this in August. Imagine August comes around, you start seeing the high school football teams come out, and somebody, if you like high school football, comes up to you and says, I've been going around the area, I've been watching these various teams practice, and I know who's going to win the state championship this year. I know the area team that's going to win the state championship. It's the Columbiana Clippers. <laughs> now, just to be clear, I can say that. I live in Columbiana. My kids go to Columbiana schools. If you're from South Range, don't say a word, right? <laughs> I tell you that because I want you to feel that kind of feeling, that involuntary, like if you were drinking something, you would come out your nose when you heard that. Because that's the reaction I... Uh, think Nathaniel is happening when he hears the Messiah's from Nazareth. Philip, you, we're both, you know, we both know Nazareth. We both know the scriptures. Like, the Messiah does not come out of Nazareth. So how do you respond if you're Philip and you get this very, very skeptical response? How do you respond? Well, how do you respond if you, if you say the Columbiana Clippers are going to win the state championship next year? You, you're not going to probably argue somebody logically into that uh, conclusion. I think you're going to have to take them with them. And that's exactly what Philip does. I know it's hard to believe. You've got to experience this. Come and see. Come and see with your own eyes, right? He doesn't, he doesn't try to sit there 
and argue with them. He doesn't make a case for why Jesus is the Messiah. He says, come and see. I know this sounds crazy, but come and see for yourself. And the reason why Philip can do this is because he's been hanging out with Jesus. He has experienced Jesus firsthand. Uh, and this is actually, this, we see this pattern in John's gospel. This is a, someone will uh, encounter Jesus, have an experience with Jesus, then go and tell others about that encounter, and then they will come to Jesus, and Jesus and John's gospel has this kind of magnetism to him where he just draws people in. But that witness gets them from where they are into Jesus' presence. And Nathaniel's right. It, it, it makes no sense that the Messiah would come out of Nazareth. He doesn't have an argument to stand on, but he has experience, and that's different. He doesn't have a proof text. He doesn't have a lecture. He doesn't have a, a case. But he, he says, come and see, come and see. So I'm not, I think, I think there's probably, I'm not the only one, I think, that's got some Nathaniel in them. I think most of us have some Nathaniel in us. We're, we're kind of skeptical. And just to be clear, that, that's a, a good thing, right? When somebody tells you something is too good to be true, right, it almost assuredly is too good to be true, right? There's no such thing as a free lunch. If we, uh, if we took everyone who was excited about something and told us we needed to see something, we took them at our word, at their word, our, our kitchens would be packed to the brim with all these gizmos, which were supposed to revolutionize our cooking that we learned about on infomercials, right? We would have like tons and tons of things um, in our kitchen because almost always somebody says, this is gonna, this is gonna change the way you cook. When someone tells you something's too good to be true, right, it's, it's probably good to, to have some Nathaniel in you. Same thing with our faith, actually, too, right? I mean, maybe, I, maybe because I'm in, in ministry and I, I hear about this, but there's always some book, some podcast, some app, some prayer, some new teaching that is exciting is that's going to transform our faith. We just, we're one book away from kind of this transformation. Uh, and without some skepticism, we're just going to be bouncing around from one thing to the next, whether it's a, a fad in the church, whether it's the latest teaching, whether it's our culture pulling us in a certain direction. So we're right to be skeptical like Nathaniel, right? This probably wasn't the first time that he had heard uh, that a Messiah had, was come, coming about. But here's the challenge, I think. I think um, just like we need to watch out from bouncing around from one thing to the other, we need to watch out that our hearts don't become cynical or complacent. It's, e it's very easy in our discipleship journey with Jesus to think, we, yeah, we know Jesus. We've got the right information about Jesus. And there, we, can, we can kind of check all the boxes about Jesus and our beliefs. And we begin to, to kind of step back. We're not really spending much time with Jesus. We're, we're kind of looking at Jesus from afar and saying, I know him. Right? And what in reality is happening is we know a lot about Jesus, but we don't know Jesus. That's very different to know a person and to know about a person. I think we can really see this uh, in, in our culture today, right? So much has changed in your guys' lifetime, even in my lifetime. We have unparalleled access to the intimate lives of celebrities, whether it's athletes or musicians or whoever, right? You can, if you want to follow them on social media or whatever, follow their. Whatever they got going on, you can find out. You can go into their house. They'll show you their house. Uh, you, can, you can kind of feel like you're friends with them, right? That's, that, that's how they, in many ways, sell themselves to you. But that, is, that doesn't mean you know them. We don't know them, right? 
I heard somebody say one time, like, if you know all the facts about a person, but you don't know that person, we call that being a stalker, right? That's, that's what happens. That's very different to know about someone and know a person. So yes, absolutely, knowing things about Jesus is a big part of our faith. But, but what Philip has experienced is different. Philip has experienced an encounter with Jesus. And I think this is important to us uh, as disciples, as we think about how do we bear witness to Jesus to others. Like the only reason that Philip can bear witness to Jesus, uh, to Nathaniel, is because Philip has encountered Jesus. He's experienced Jesus. He's followed Jesus himself. Right? In other words, being a disciple of Jesus is experiential. Right? It's, that's, that's why it's called the way and not the class. Right? It's not enough just to get some facts in your head. Discipleship is always about experiential knowledge. You learn on the way. Now, of course, that looks different for us. We don't have the flesh and blood Jesus in front of us, but the same thing is still at work. We learn about Jesus by following Jesus. And here's what's, here's what's so, I think, encouraging about this passage to all of us, right? You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need, uh, you don't need to know the Bible inside and out. You don't have to have all the answers to witness to someone know about Jesus, but you do have to experience Jesus. It seems to be one of the few non-negotiable things. You have to have your own encounter, your own experience with Jesus to witness. William Barclay, he tells this story in his commentary about uh, a prominent 19th century agnostic named Thomas Henry Huxley. And so Huxley's at this party, and uh, Sunday comes around, and, and they're having this party, and a lot of these people start to go to, to church. So Huxley's not interested, understandably, in going to church but Huxley goes up to this guy at the party at, who's known to have this simple and radiant Christian faith, and he says to him, hey, su- suppose you don't go to church today. Suppose you stay at home and you tell me, you know, quite simply, what your Christian faith means to you and why you're a Christian. And the man says, you could demolish my arguments in an instant. This is an intellectual giant. I'm just a simple guy. There's no way I'm going to be able to to talk to you about this. And Huxley responds, I I don't want to argue with you. I just want you to tell me simply what Christ means to you. And so instead of going to church, the man stays back and he tells Huxley about his faith. And when the man had finished, Huxley's eyes were in tears and he said, I would give my right hand if only I could believe that. So instead of an argument, which Huxley would have easily destroyed, the man invited... And it said to the Huxley, come and see, and it pierced his heart, right? Not many, if you think about it, not many people have been argued into Christianity. There might be a few exceptions. Most people are not argued into Christianity, but there's something very powerful about a testimony that says, look, I don't have all the answers. This is what Jesus means to me. This is how Jesus has made my life different. This is what I can tell you about. Nathaniel is skeptical, right? He has doubts, but to his credit, he's willing to take Philip up on his offer to come and see, and I think that's significant, right? Again, Nathaniel's skeptical, but he's not cynical. I think there's a difference there, right? Someone who's cynical kind of shuts themselves off. They're not really interested in the truth. Someone, in the, someone who's skeptical, though, is open to being wrong. Right? So Nathaniel has these serious doubts, right? Whether the Messiah could really come from Nazareth, fair enough. To his credit, he investigates himself. So Jesus sees Nathanael coming to him, 
And he says this, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So it's a little, it's a little bit of a puzzling statement, right? But whatever it is, it's certainly high praise for Nathaniel. To be called someone who is, maybe another way of saying it, is without guile, no deceit. I mean, you think about in the Sermon on the Mount, the pure in heart, Jesus calls that person blessed. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus appreciates the, the guilelessness, the, the, the no deceit that he sees in Nathaniel. And he has, Jesus has this uncanny ability to kind of peer into Nathaniel's soul. And you can just see, I mean, you can just imagine in your mind, it just arrests Nathaniel. Because look, the, the condescension, the joking is gone. How do you know me? I love this question. How do you know me? I imagine Nathaniel being, he's both startled, maybe he's a little bit fearful that somebody has been able to peer into his soul in that way. Remember Nathaniel's skeptical, right? maybe a bit guarded, but just in a few words, Jesus has pierced through that. Maybe you've had that experience before where you've, not, you've, known, you've barely known someone who maybe is extremely perceptive, and they're able to kind of name something in you that they should not be able to see. It's almost a little bit frightening because oftentimes we go around with our guards up and our protections up, but some people have that ability to kind of pierce through that and actually see us as we really are. And, and, Philip says, and Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And Jesus responds, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Okay, again, it's a little strange encounter. Like, okay, what does that have to do with anything, Jesus? You saw him under a fig tree. Like, what does that have to do with it? Well, a little background, a fig tree... Leafy, shady tree uh, is a great place for a person to sit and meditate on Scripture. You've got the, you've got the shade, you've got the roof of the branches you, to, to meditate on Scripture, and it was known to be a place where people do that. So, so it might be that Jesus can tell that, that Nathaniel is meditating on this, uh, is searching for the Messiah. Right? Remember when Philip comes up to Nathaniel, he said, he speaks kind of like, we found him which to me indicates that Nathaniel's part of that group that's waiting, that's looking for uh, the Messiah. Now, again, he didn't, he didn't think it was going to come out of Nazareth, that's for sure, but he's looking. Right? If Jesus gets Nathaniel's attention with the first line, these words just kind of blow his mind uh, because you can look at his response, look at the confession. Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. So this is even a more powerful, bold confession than Philip makes. Nathaniel has only known Jesus for these very brief encounter, and yet this is quite the confession. You are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Like Nathaniel is stunned. In these two little lines, Jesus has turned his world upside down. And, and, and Jesus says essentially to Nathaniel, you haven't seen anything yet, Nathaniel. You ain't seen nothing yet, Nathaniel. Uh, you think that was great? What is Jesus talking about here? Well, think back to your Old Testament stories. What does angels ascending and descending what does that remind you of? Right? In Genesis, we read about Jacob, right? which is kind of funny. There's kind of these allusions to Jacob. If you remember Jacob, he was a trickster. He was definitely not a guy who was without deceit. So it's kind of interesting that, uh, that's, that Jacob emerges here. But Jacob's a trickster. He, uh, he, he tricks his brother, his father, into giving the blessing to his brother Esau. And then he's got to take off. His mother encourages him to take off. So as, after he takes off, there's this night where he, he lies down on a, on a stone as a pillow, which sounds very uncomfortable, but he lies down on that, and then he has this dream, and in this dream, there's a ladder on earth 
that reaches into the heaven, and on that ladder are angels ascending and descending. So, so in other words, uh, Jacob dreams this kind of portal, this ladder that's this portal, this gateway, this link between heaven and earth. And he calls the place Bethel, which means house of God. So powerful, powerful dream. All right, so now, that, keep that story in your mind. Now Jesus is using very similar language, a similar scene to say, angels descending and ascending, but guess what? There's no ladder. Right, same thing, Jacob's dream, ascending, but there's no ladder. Who is the ladder? It's the Son of Man. Right? I know it takes, takes a second, but this is a really stunning claim that Jesus is making. Like, Jesus is saying in front of Nathaniel, I'm the ladder, I'm the portal, I'm the shuttle to God. I'm the link between heaven and earth. Just like that ladder was in Jacob's dream, I'm now that ladder. I'm the one that connects heaven and earth. You see why he's saying, like, Nathaniel, you're you're impressed I read your heart. You haven't seen anything yet. Hang out with me. Follow me. You will see things you never imagined, Nathaniel. I love how, uh, you know, Nathaniel is skeptical about Jesus. I love how uh, Jesus is not skeptical about Nathaniel. I'm guessing if Jesus can read Nathaniel's heart so well um, that he probably reads his skepticism. And remember, Nathaniel kind of balked at Jesus. But when, when Jesus encounters Nathaniel, he's not, he gives him a compliment, a high compliment. Jesus isn't petty. Jesus isn't insecure. Jesus looks at Nathaniel and compliments. And I think this is a good news. If you, are, if you find yourself skeptical of Jesus or the claims of Jesus like Nathaniel, I think this is good news. If you are skeptical about Jesus, Jesus is not skeptical about you. If you are doubtful about Jesus, Jesus is not doubtful about you. If you're not currently a disciple of Jesus, it is very, very normal to have questions and doubts about following Jesus. In some ways, we probably would be, it probably do us well to have more doubts about following Jesus because we would really start to understand what discipleship entails. Like you're not, when you sign up to follow Jesus, you're not buying a, a, a kitchen scissors off an infomercial, right? Jesus doesn't want $49.99 from you. He wants all of you, just like Ethan opened us up in worship, which is really nice. Jesus wants all of you. He wants your whole life. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to stop for a second and think about if you want that. Nathaniel is doubtful. He's skeptical. Understandably, but he's got something going for him. He's got actually two things going for him. He's searching, and he's without guile. Right? Again, it's one thing to be skeptical, and it's another thing to be cynical or jaded. Jesus can handle your questions. Jesus can handle your doubts. Are you searching? Or are you cynical? Are you jaded? Remember, Nathaniel is genuinely searching. He's open to, in other words, doubting his doubts. If you are a skeptic of Jesus, are you open to doubting your doubts about Jesus? If so, Jesus stands and says, come and see me. Just come hang out with me. Like Learning to follow Jesus is about experiential knowledge. It's unlikely that Nathaniel's going to work out his doubts under that tree. I don't think he's going to work it out by just reading a little bit more. He needs to experience uh, Jesus. Right? So if you are a skeptic like Nathaniel, I think the invitation today is come and see for yourself. But I think Nathaniel has something, a challenge, a good news 
to offer to those of us who maybe have been following Jesus for a long time. And that is this. Jesus is always calling us to greater things. There's this tendency as we get older, as in our discipleship journey, that often we, we begin to kind of settle. We begin to kind of play it safe. We begin to, to move into some complacency. And I think Jesus is always looking at those of us who have been following Jesus for a while and say, there's more. There's greater things. And this, this is risk. This is risky. Like, Nathaniel's not the only one that takes a risk by getting up off the, out of the tree and going to check out Jesus. Philip takes a risk, too, right? How does, Philip, how does Philip take a risk? One, he goes and talks to Nathaniel. Like, I'm guessing Philip knows Nathaniel well enough to know this might not go well. Nathaniel is not going to, to buy this, what I'm about to tell him. But Philip takes a risk. He, first of all, he, he takes a risk by following Jesus, by accepting the call, but then he's going to go up to Nathaniel and tell him about his experience, right? Remember, he doesn't even try to argue with him. He knows it's crazy, but come and see. It's a risk for Philip to do that, to witness to Nathaniel, but look at the payoff. Nathaniel has this incredible encounter with Jesus. Right? Witnessing to Jesus will always involve some risk even if we're scoffed at. I think that's one thing to recognize. A witnessing to our experience of Jesus involves risk, right? We have reservations. What are they going to say? Are they going to scoff at me? But I think there's something else we can see about what, uh, the way that Philip witnesses Nathaniel. Notice how there's no app here. There's no technique. There's no track. There's no shortcut. We love in our culture shortcuts. That's why there's an app for everything. Because the promise is you don't have to do all that stuff. I'll just give you an app, a technique, and you'll get right to it. And we fall into the same trap, I think, with witnessing Jesus. I'll hand you a track. That's very different than witnessing to a genuine encounter with Jesus. Imagine with me that a new restaurant opens up in Columbiana that's not a pizza shop. That's the hardest part, too. Imagine... Imagine a new restaurant opens up in Columbiana, and I go up to you and I say, oh, you've, again, you've got to try this new sushi bar in Columbiana. The food is amazing. And they're like, oh, what, what, tell me about what you ate there. And you're like, oh, I haven't been there. How powerful of a witness is that? Like, the person's not going to believe you. It's same thing with our faith, right? We can witness to Jesus. There might be something to saying about Jesus. But how much more powerful when we say, look, this is my experience with Jesus. Like that person in, in the story that Barclay tells, I, I don't have all the answers, but here's what I can tell you about Jesus. Here's what Jesus means to me. Here's what Jesus has done to me. That's a powerful testimony. But I also want to just, so that's, a, that's one of the challenges. We're, if we're going to witness Jesus, we've got to be with Jesus. We've got to hang out with Jesus. We've got to encounter Jesus. But secondly, I think this is really good news. Jesus is always calling disciples to greater things. Remember I said, like, again, there's this tendency as we get older, and we need to watch out because we're, we're a little bit of an older congregation, although look at all those kids here. we got a lot of, of new disciples that are hopefully coming up. But we got to be aware of this. Like, there's this tendency to kind of slip into nominal Christianity. Right? We get comfortable. We lose some of that zeal we once had. We go to church, we profess the right beliefs, but we've stopped experiencing Jesus ourselves. 
And I think we need to hear the word that Nathaniel hears. You ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. See, if Jesus really is the portal to God, if he is the ladder to God, if he is the shuttle to God, then we will never exhaust the wonder and awe of Jesus. Why? Because God is infinite. Think about that. You go deeper with Jesus, and there is always more. You will never reach a point where you say, I've arrived. Why? Because God is infinite which should blow our minds and give us so much joy because when we, as we grow in our, in our, in our, in our knowledge, in our, in our experience with God, we're going to experience greater and greater love because God is infinite. And my invitation to you if, you, are, if you have been a disciple of Jesus for six months or 85 years, my invitation for you is to hear Jesus' words, you haven't seen anything yet. There's greater things to come.